How you going on everyone? I am joined with Gary McGowan aka Skinny Gaz. I always have trouble introducing guests because majority of them have numerous different hats that they wear. What would you describe yourself as Gaz? You are now currently a doctor, physio, PT. Student doctor. Student doctor. Not a doctor yet. <laughs> Um, yeah, so look, what I, what I always, I always start by calling myself a trainer, to be honest, because, you know, that's, that's my bread and butter. That's kind of where it all started. It's very much through the, through the lens of fitness that everything else emerged. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a trainer. I'm the owner of, of Triage Method, which is a fitness coaching and education business. Been doing, you know, social media for many years, posting about fitness, health, and, you know, life and philosophy questions, that type of thing tend to pop up as well. But, um, from there, you know, I, I studied physiotherapy, so I'm a qualified physio as well. And I'm in my final year of medicine now. So as I say, it all starts with being a trainer and it all emerged from that interest in health and fitness. Super. One thing, as I said to you previously, is that I always love to get a background on people and their career and how they got to where they are now, because I think it's very educational for people, you know, people in leaving search in school and then also in their 20s when they think you know maybe i'm not where i should be or you know there's this big focus on having to be at a certain place you were a qualified physio and then decided to transition into medicine what was the trigger for that yeah so the the trigger for that in terms of going into medicine would have been primarily i think having an, uh, definitely an interest in health and disease more broadly. But from experience then in the hospital environment as a physio, I began to get more insight into what a doctor does, the role of the, the doctor and medical team in terms of treatment and management of disease and diagnosis in particular, I find really interesting. So all of that, you know, I just I just found that there was something that maybe wasn't wasn't going to be satisfied if I was to pursue just physio. And to be honest, I hadn't really intended on doing physio to go out and, you know, do my rotations in a hospital and work as a physio for life. The intent really was to try to merge it with triage in some way and to use that to kind of bolster my role as a trainer. That was the goal, because as a personal trainer, you're generally prescribing exercise to healthy populations for the most part. And being a physiotherapist then just allowed me to add on, you know, the unhealthy populations, you could say that I can prescribe exercise, you know, comfortably and competently to people who are injured, which is a fairly large proportion of the, you know, clientele that might show up to a, a personal trainer, whether it be in person or online. So that was kind of the thinking there with physio. But then as I delved into physio and the, the hospital environment and the concept of doing medicine, it started to appeal to me and it came to me in my final year, I had a placement, you know, that, that I just really enjoyed seeing the medical component of and I decided you know what why not go on and and do this particularly because I was in a a pretty blessed position in the sense that I have an online business so you know it's not like I had to for example if I was a teacher and I was deciding to go back and do medicine you have to jump ship you know you have no income anymore you've lost your job etc that's a huge risk and I always admire people that do that because there are a lot of people that have done it in my class as well. But for me, I was in a little bit more of that position where I had the blessing of my business that was there. And I knew that, of course, going into medicine, I was going to be able to at least keep myself ticking over with some work, which 
is a, a stressful endeavor for sure, but is is good from obviously, you know, the perspective of financial comfort and things. So that's kind of what led me to medicine. I certainly wasn't uh, the medical student type when I was in secondary school or anything. And I know that's obviously of interest to you as a teacher. Like I think that when I was in secondary school, I went to an all boys school, the SEM in Killarney, very much like a a football kind of lads school, if you will, you know, the standard young lad culture in the school. And uh, like the idea of of a student, you know, that was going to be the, the student that did medicine, that just wasn't me. It wasn't part of my identity. It wasn't something I'd grown up around. Now, I didn't, don't have any doctors in the family or anything like that. So that just seemed absurd. It's like, that's not the type of person I am. Um, whereas when I got the exposure then later in life, it started to, you know, make me think, oh, maybe I could be that student. And so what type of student were you in school? Like, you, we'll go on to it in a minute, but you have transitioned to, to a student. As you called yourself, you're always a student, really, um, that is obsessed with learning. So, how, like, where was the change there? What were you like in school? And, and how did you think you became the Gary you are now? Yeah, so I would say, like, a lot of the comments that I would have gotten, or my parents would have gotten, I suppose, in secondary school in particular, in particular parent-teacher meetings, was always... Gary has all these, this potential, but he's he's not fulfilling it. He's not fully, you know, pushing himself in the, in the way that he could, etc. So that was kind of the way I was up until probably 16 or 17. Um, so, you know, I, you know, I was never, never bad in school by any means. I wouldn't exaggerate. I, you know, I was, I was always, I was quite smart as a kid. And then in, in school, I kind of probably like first, second or second and third year, Hollywood had just kind of coasted a bit, you know, not a great student, not a bad student, just kind of like, yeah, you know, doing fine. But then when I, what happened was I did transition year then, and I know that's common in a lot of schools. In, in my school, it was actually the first year the transition year was introduced. So I decided to do it. And one of the things that you have to do as part of transition year is, uh, or, or we did it anyway, was the Goshka Award. And to get the Goshka Award, you have to do some sort of kind of physical exercise or join a club or sport or something along those lines. So I decided, you know, and this this will tell you my attitude at the time towards fitness and everything. I said, well, you know, I don't want to join a club or anything where I'm going to have to show up each week. So maybe I'll join the gym. And if I join the gym, I can just get them to sign it off and no one can say whether I was there or not. Just get it signed off, you know. So that was my attitude at the time. Very different to the way I am now. But I, I then fell in love with the gym. You know, I, I enjoyed fitness. And I think in particular what happened was, I start to get really interested in the the why questions, you know, or like we're doing this exercise, but why, you know, or we're making these dietary changes, but why? And I think the gym overall probably changed my attitude towards everything else in my life. And I, when I came back in fifth and sixth year, then I was suddenly, you know, a, a pretty good student, you know, that I, I, I peaked right at the end. Um, so I was lucky in that sense. And I think it's the gym and fitness and the pursuit of health that actually taught me all of that, because what you learn as as a trainee is that if you put a, a plan in place, even if it's not a great plan and you execute on that every single day, you get results. And that's just such a, it's such a wonderful lesson to, to learn as a young person, because in theory, you know that, like everyone knows that, but it, when you see it play out in practice, it's actually a really nice thing to observe. So then I translated that over to, to education and, and everything thereafter. Yeah, so I think that, two, I always remember two points from, things you've said before and one is fat loss is easy in in theory but in practice or vice versa with muscle gain you know what i mean yeah. 
that's we, we always say they're we always say they're simple but not easy. Th- that's you know the one. Yeah. yeah. And and the other one is eat like an adult. Yeah. And I remember saying that to my brother before. Eat like an adult. He said, What do you mean? I was like, Well, as you described, you see a plate. If you're a young person, you would think that this should be good if you have a lot of veg. And if you're eating, you know, frozen chicken tenders or whatever. Right. Would you do that as an adult or you think an adult eats like that? So I think them simple things actually stuck with me. You talked about TY there. I am just such an avid promoter of TY. I think you, you change totally as a person. And um, regardless of, you know, I want to do TY or I don't. I personally went into teaching because I did TY. I remember I had no work experience. And my mom says, go up to the school there. And I said, why would I want to go up to the school? I don't want to be a teacher. And here we are. Um, yeah. So big change in TY, but yeah. you went to, you went and did physio then from school straight from school. So like that's that's a big jump from from not really having much interest suddenly hitting the gym and being a physio. Obviously, it it was something that really really excited you. Yeah, absolutely. So so actually, it was actually even more direct from a fitness perspective in that what I did was I initially so what I wanted to do in school was. I always wanted to be a, a pilot. That's what I always wanted to be as a kid. So then I decided, well, you know, that if you wanted to go to the Atlantic flight training here in Cork, for example, I think it's 60,000 for the course. And at the time, that seemed absolutely ridiculous. My family couldn't afford, afford that. Like, that's a reckless amount of money. Ironically, I've ended up paying the same thing for medicine. <laughs> so I should have just done it in the first place. But, um, you know, what, what I decided then was I'd do aeronautical engineering because you know it was close enough to at least i could work in the aviation industry that was my goal and i liked engineering and that type or i thought that i'd like engineering and that's what i wanted to do because i like maths and physics etc but the gym then led me to have very different interests so i i actually went um into exercise science in ul the so the sports and exercise science course in ul i did that first so i did i went in the first year of that finished my first year and then in ul they have a an internal transfer system so like you know once you're within a certain margin of the points for the course that you are trying to change into and you've done well in your exams you were able to internally transfer so i went back first year of physio then and did the physio course um so yeah it, wa- it was a fairly big switch because i i didn't really like healthcare and, and that type of thing wasn't really an interest of mine um but it was really fitness that kind of of it, it caused that to flourish and, and i know a lot of people who have actually had very similar experiences yeah, and, and then you, you you took physio and medicine, and what I find about the triage method is it's unbelievably, and, and you described it at the start as a training and education, and, and there's a serious amount of education, and, and some of the stuff is extremely technical, you know, it, did you just get totally obsessed with how the body works? You said you asked the why, and is that what happened? You just want to know exactly, like, not just a bench press you want to know exactly what's happening with the body yeah absolutely and i think that i think that childlike curiosity actually goes a long way in terms of education because if you try to explain anything to a child and you give them an inadequate explanation they'll often say but why daddy you know but why but why and and that's kind of the way i think that you should bring your approach to education into adult life as well because it can actually be it can be very difficult because even for you as a teacher for example if your students kept asking why and why and why, there'd come a why where you're like, I actually don't know, you know, and, and that's happened many times. Don't worry. hundred percent always happens. And that was something that um, 
Professor Richard Feynman, he was one of the kind of pioneering um, physicists in um, the 20th century. He was a proponent of like the, the, I think it was the five whys, he calls it. Um, or maybe that was someone else. But anyway, his idea is to keep asking why that, you know, if you don't, if you if you think you understand the concept, you ask the first why and then the second why and then the third why. So, for example, if it was the gym, it would be, you know, how, how do you gain muscle in the gym? You know, you lift weights. But why does that cause muscle gain? Because it places tension on the muscle. Why does that cause, you know, muscle gain? Uh, because there are these cellular changes at the at the muscular level. But why? Oh, well, it's because if these cellular changes take place, it allows you to adapt to future stressors. But why? Because if you adapt to future stressors, you're now uh, more protected, you know, from from the environment or from the exposures that are coming in the future, etc. So you can keep asking these whys and take yourself down these these various layers of understanding. And I think that that's what the the gym did for me. And that it's also what um you see emerge in nutrition a lot these days where, you know, you can give some of that simple advice like, eat like an adult let's say and that that works but then someone says why and you say well you know an adult generally eats more single ingredient foods they prepare their own meals they're not going to be eating as much sweets and processed foods and why like why does that matter why is that important because when people eat more childlike foods they end up you know consuming more calories because they're hyper palatable and designed to be tasty and why does that lead to you know bad nutrition because you know our brain is hardwired for survival from an evolutionary perspective so if you're giving it loads of foods that are really tasty and aren't filling, you're going to end up obese because you're not in that environment anymore. But your brain is still designed uh, designed for it to be so. So that's that's really what emerged from health and fitness, and 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 I I just find that approach to like almost any topic to be just fascinating because I think that when you a lot of people come into adulthood, what ends up happening is they they kind of stop asking why. Like we just accept that there are certain things that just are, and we then we don't ask the questions. And of course, we can't have a solid understanding of everything that goes on in the world. It's simply too complex. But especially within those areas that you're interested in, I think that um, there's there's a lot to be said for just asking why. You obviously ask why a good bit with the look uh, behind you with all the books. As you always say, you're constantly a student in education and educating yourself. How does that fit into your crazy schedule? I remember looking at and uh, watching your YouTube videos when I was in college and it was like as you do now the 5 a.m 4 a.m as early as I could ever imagine people getting up and going to the gym pitch black I remember an episode where you said you were getting nosebleeds and stuff how have you managed your schedule now and what does like like a day in Gary's life would be crazy what I want to know is what is a rest day like I'd say your rest day is like my most productive day ever <laughs> yeah well like I, I suppose the first thing that I always say is like you know, and you know this if you follow me that like, like I sometimes document the the way I live my life, but I always give the caveat that like, I don't think you should live like this. I don't like I don't think people should aim at, you know, being the extreme at any one end. You know, I think that there's a a balance to be had, and that's something that I try to pursue all the time as well. Like I, I have I have far too much going on that would be sustainable. You know, for most people, including me. So you know between between the business and between you know medicine and my own training and obviously the kind of pursuit of education generally I like reading etc that's all very time intensive and it can be overwhelming and it probably take it too far at times so like that's the first caveat because I, I never want to be seen as the person that's saying you should get up at four o'clock in the morning you don't have to 
that's perfectly fine. You prefer to get up at seven or eight? Fine by me as long as you're happy and your life is, is going while you're doing what you need to do. All right. So like for me, the way I set, I set up my life is kind of around certain pillars. So I think that like some people think that the ideal life is one in which you have as much kind of freedom as possible. And that's the idea. A lot of the time when people go into, you know, online businesses, they start online coaching and they think their life is going to be great because they have freedom. But what ends up happening when you have too much freedom is that you've no pillars around which your day, your day is built. Um, so, for example, if you're a teacher, let's say you are even when you're it's actually even a better example. If you think back to a student at Leaving Cert, you know, they know they have to be in school for nine o'clock. They know they're there until four o'clock. You know, when are they going to have when are they going to have their meals? You know, when we're when we're free in the world as adults, we often think of uh, like, oh, when am I going to eat? When am I going to have my lunch? Those decisions are made for you when you're in Leaving Cert. You know, you have them at your lunch breaks. That's it. It's done. After school, then you might have supervised study. That's another pillar around which your day is built. So if you want to go to the gym and you want to get your exercise done, you do so at the end of the day after you supervise study or you do it in the morning before you go to school. So you have these like kind of rigid um, opportunities to get things done. And I find that though, having those pillars around which your day is built often leads to more productivity, even though you actually have more to do throughout the day. You know, the, the, it goes back to... Um, Parkinson's law, which is the idea that the time taken to complete a task will be equal to the time that you allocate to that task. So the classic example, if you're in college and you get an assignment that's due in, you know, May 20th, when is it going to get done? May 19th. You know, it's that's kind of what ends up happening. You could give someone three years to do the same assignment. It'd still probably be the day before or the week before when it gets completed. And the same things hap happens with our life. So because I have quite a few pillars around which my day is built, for example, the podcast that we're recording this morning, we're recording this at 7 a.m. I deliberately tried to do these things earlier because now it means I'm up. I've I've got this scheduled in and it means that if I'm going training at 11, which I am, that between 8 and 11, I've got a three hour block of doing another type of work. Whereas if I had nothing on this morning, I might be tempted to, you know, maybe sleep into late and get up and have a slow breakfast. And suddenly I've lost a lot of hours. So that that's the way I end up structuring it, that I have these pillars around which my life is built and because there's kind of a lot forced on me at the moment i obviously don't end up having a lot of, of free time but what i would say is that i enjoy most of what i do you know not not necessarily enjoying the sense that i'm going around smiling and happy all the time but if i'm studying i see a purpose in it i enjoy it i like asking those questions as i said you know why etc digging into the mechanisms of things so I, I enjoy studying medicine for that reason, you know, and then when it comes to my work, it's my own business. So it's a bit of a, you know, again, it's it's a privilege there in the sense that when you're looking after your own business and you're working for your own business, there's that bit more reward and joy in it because it's like your baby, as opposed to if I was studying medicine and being told to show up at the office to work for someone else, you know, you might have a bit of a chip in your shoulder about that. So I think I'm, I'm blessed in many ways that it makes doing everything a lot easier um but certainly yeah still still very much busy and i'll use your own question against you why you always said you know it gives you meaning and we'll go into that in a minute but what's the kind of legacy i know it's a big word to say but what's kind of skinny gaz's legacy that he'd like to leave on the earth that he's gained this wealth knowledge and, and put back in fitness and in health is there a kind of idea of where you want to go to where you want to be yeah, I mean, like, you know, it's it's not all from a place of like having a 
a grand vision or being highly virtuous or anything. Some of it is is just kind of stubbornness in the sense that, you know, could I have just, would it have been better to just pursue triage or just pursue medicine and leave triage behind? Maybe. I think, you know, I have those arguments with myself often and I think that maybe that, that could be a better option in some sense. But like for me, like I, I like working hard. I would say that hard work is probably close to the core of my identity to some extent in that it's a big it's at least a big part of my identity that I like to be the person that's constantly working I think that you know I don't I don't want to 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 be a workaholic and I try to you know pull myself back from that and and recognize that um and that's taken that's taken time but overall I would say that you know it's it's in my nature to be someone that enjoys working enjoys being busy you know if you if you gave me a day off, I'd fill it up. You know, I'd, I'd fill it with something that I'd like to be doing, um, whether that's reading or, or doing some some other sort of job. Like I just enjoy working on things. So that's the first thing, you know, I think sometimes it can, you can get the impression that it's all just suffering and it's all just suck and I'm making myself do it despite having no joy in it. Like, no, it, it is it is partially just my personality. Now, otherwise, I, I do I do obviously have grander visions in the sense that you know, from the perspective, from the perspective of triage, like I like pursuing the medical knowledge and I like pursuing additional education because I feel that that contributes to a business that has a better ability to level up the personal training field. And personally, I think that personal trainers and the fitness industry more broadly probably has a bit of a bad reputation. I think, unfortunately, our industry is very much tied up with influencer culture, you know, and people get a bad taste left in their mouth um as a result of that when they consider like an online fitness professional like they get that that image of someone shilling some crappy supplements you know or that type of thing and i think that bringing maybe personal trainers up a level and having them be you know better professionals i think that would be good for the world in the sense that if you look at the major problems that we have in modern society in terms of health it's mainly non-communicable diseases diseases that are related to the way in which we live and unfortunately, you're not going to have enough doctors and physios and nurses, et cetera, that are going to be able to work with people one to one to you know, address their lifestyle issues. And of course, there are economic and sociopolitical barriers there. But at the individual level, if personal trainers are more highly trained and we're a respected profession in the sense that your local GP can you know, refer to the local gym when they have a client with diabetes that needs to start exercising, I think that would be good for the world. So that, that was definitely kind of a, a, a big enough motivation but then other things are just more close to home in the sense that, you know, I want to be a, a role model for my children that I'll have one day, God willing. Um, I'd like them to see that, you know, I always worked hard and that I you know provided for them and those types of things. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're, that's that's probably they're probably two two of my biggest motivations to date. There's definitely other other visions, but I think that's a lot of it. Super. You mentioned uh, the suffering and it's. Something, so I do a couple of workshops in school apart from um, teaching and I I was trying to come up with a, a title and I call it the meaning in life rather than the meaning of life because like yourself, you kind of have to understand that it's not all, you know, as you said, people don't want to be just chilling at home. That's for me, although I'd like to do it as well, 
that's not happiness you know what i mean and people use this yeah. word happiness uh, and try and find it and they try and it's very hard to get hit home to kids of 16 17 18 that you shouldn't be looking for happiness two people i use as an example to explain it one is dan blazerian and he did a podcast with joe rogan yeah. have you seen it yeah i, I watched snippets of it Saturday. It's yeah it's it's just him describing how he's not happy and he has everything and yeah. that you should be looking for meaning same with uh, blind boy he had an analogy of climbing a mountain and you know if you could just click your fingers and you were at the top of a mountain no one would care about the view and it's yeah. the the work that gets you there i remember hearing you say something similar but obviously you can um, articulate it a lot better than me give me a small bit of description about why suffering is essential and that whole idea that that you talk about yeah i, I actually think that point by blind boy is, is well made in that sense because you know if you think about why why anyone would climb a mountain these days like why bother you can just go on youtube and you can see the exact same view you can watch someone else climb it. You're familiar with every step. So there's a clear, you know, there's clear evidence there that there's something about that journey of, you know, completing the struggle that makes it all the more rewarding. It's why if you climb, you know, Karen Tool, let's say, it's going to be very different to climbing like your lo local small hill. You're going to feel accomplished when you get to the top. You feel like you've done something that's worth doing, etc. So I think um, there's there's huge value in voluntary exposure to to suffering and to challenge and everyone knows that that's ever played sport Every, everyone knows that that's ever gone to the gym or that's pursued an educational goal it doesn't necessarily feel good along the way but you you have moments in there where it does where you you see little bits of progress or you're able to remind yourself of the purpose that's there and you're able to extract meaning from that then, because I think you are right in saying in terms of the question of, of meaning in life versus meaning of life is that if you're just asking yourself, what's the meaning of life? You know, why are we here? Like, unless you're unless you're religious, you're actually not going to find an answer to that question. Like you can say you can come up with loads of, of hypotheticals, but you're not really going to come to a, a great answer there and you'll just drive yourself nuts. Whereas when you, if you can find meaning in the small everyday things, that's really what can be quite quite powerful and and parents know this as well because raising a child or multiple children is incredibly difficult but you ask them would they change it you know is it something they change or would they like to get rid of their children they're like no absolutely not because i because i love them and i, and I see purpose in it and i see meaning in it so it's not just about you know your own happiness your own freedom you know how well rested you feel you know you, you have a new a new mother or father that's sleeping three four hours a night like you know you don't expect that to be a recipe for happiness but very often they wouldn't change it for the world so that's kind of my my broader perspective is that we should expose ourselves where possible to voluntary suffering but more broadly then we shouldn't shy away from something just because it's hard or just because it sucks in the moment and i think that that's something that people are very tempted towards these days because we, we have the i i think that we have this kind of you know very um contracted sense of time that as a result of social media we always have this really really fast transmission of information so everything seems like it's happening really quick and you always have examples of other people that are ahead of you and when you set a goal you also want that goal to be quick and you don't want to say like for example if you want to be a consultant as in medicine let's say you want to be a surgeon how long is it going to take you to be an independently practicing surgeon you're going to have to go to medical school for four years seven to ten years of postgraduate training so you're talking maybe 
10 to 15 years before you're actually an independently practicing surgeon. That seems like a lifetime for most people. Like if you start that at 25, you're talking 35 to 40. Are you going to sacrifice your youth to do that? And that's what's really difficult for people to accept because they want to live in this kind of, you know, 20 to 25 year old mode forever, which which just isn't life. So I think that voluntary exposure to, to suffering, accepting trade-offs in your life, accepting that there'll be suck along the way is just incredibly important. You know, when they used to torture, when they used to torture um, concentration um, camp prisoners um, during the Holocaust, what the Nazis would have them do is is purposeless work. So that would be work where, for example, if I get you to carry a sandbag up the yard and then I get you to carry it down again and then up again and then down again with with no end purpose of the task, it's just work for its own sake. Now that is miserable because that's involuntary suffering and it's work from which very little um, meaning or purpose can be extracted. That's hell. But if you actually had that exact same task, but you were a construction worker for a family business and it's supporting your family, suddenly that exact same task has totally different uh, psychological consequences. So just describing things in terms of, of what you are doing in the moment is fruitless if you don't consider its purpose and are able to extract meaning from it. And I think that's one of the examples that always comes to mind for me. That's a, that's a great perspective. I'm going to rub that one off you. No problem. Um, <laughs> I remember, yeah, see, because we're always looking for happiness. We're looking for the end goal. You know, a meaning, I think, makes, um, as you said, a suffering job bearable. Uh, and we're we're getting away from if I have this and when I have this I will be happy and uh, that that's it uh, when I reach this point, and uh, I have to understand uh, what I try and get young people to understand is that that point never comes, yeah. and another thing Blind Boy said in the same thing was that there's no happiness but there is sadness and I remember putting on the podcast for one of my classes and they're like this is so depressing sir I was like I know but what you have to understand is that. I used an example of Tyson Fury and I forget who he was fighting. I think it could have been Klitschko. And he said that um, he had, let's say it was Klitschko. He had this goal in his head that if he bet Klitschko, that's it. That's his pinnacle of his career and he's going to be totally happy after that. And once he did, he had no meaning. Uh, And he hit the drink and drugs hard because he thought this is going to be all glory. Like we think when we get our new car or money or a job that this is it. I'm now going to sit at home and I'm just going to be internally happy. I remember I was actually in the car the last day and I was like, I'm totally content here now. You know what I mean? In a lot yeah, of different yeah. aspects of my life, I'm, yeah. I'm very happy. Obviously, you know, there's other things you could want, but like, this is what I describe as happiness. And if, if I told a student that this is happiness, they're like, what? This is yeah. terrible. You're not like proper jumping with joy. You're so happy. You're just content. I'm like, that's okay. That's all I want. Absolutely. And, and I think that's actually a great perspective that there there's no happiness, but there is sadness because the, the one thing that illuminates um, the, the importance or the value in the normal, basic everyday stuff that you're describing is when there is pain or when there is loss. You know, you ask a sick person, you know, what do they want? All they want is to feel healthy again. It's all that matters to them. You know, if you were in severe pain, if you could just get rid of that severe pain, your perspective is that everything would be okay again, because that's the only thing that matters. And and Dr. Jordan Peterson says that as well. He said, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing more real than pain. 
and that's that's entirely true because you know it it's the 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 downs are sometimes far far deeper than the ups will ever get and i think if you could get rid of those we'd all be pretty content and i think that people actually do get glimpses of this in their real life like for example one of them would be you know around christmas time people generally feel kind of content obviously people have suffered grief and loss and stuff it can be a very difficult time but if you're around just your family and you're just having a nice time chatting with your family and your grandparents are over that that wholesome feeling that people describe like there's there's nothing necessary there's nothing material to that it doesn't matter what you got for christmas you know it doesn't matter that there, whether there's a camera on you and you're getting likes and stuff it's like no 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 i'm actually just grateful for these people in my life that i'm lucky enough to have grown up with that raised me and there's that sense of gratitude that comes and i think that that's what you want to extract more and more in your life are those situations where it's the people around me it's the the basic stuff the the, the food on the table the the joy of being able to go to work each day if you can find meaning in, in, in those little things, like you'll go so much further than torturing yourself towards just some material existence that's been advertised to you. Beautiful. Hopefully they'll understand that now coming from you. It's a very um, difficult I, thing to understand though. You know, 100% I mean, and it's not like, very, very, I'm not I saying I, I, I have an understanding, you know, it's consistent learning and it's, it's a lifetime um lifetime thing you know what i mean you're you'll be content one day and the next day you're, you're looking for meaning and i suppose that's why i think uh, people should be kind of busy and and free time and i look i've been a, a victim of it where i'm like once i get my work done the, the main thing i want to do is is do nothing and that's what's going to make me happy when you kind of shift a small bit and realize you know you want to be busy because then when you take that time to relax you're far more happy so I suppose it's could be slightly connected to what we're talking about in terms of suffering, in terms of meaning. But one thing I'm very interested in is your travels to Belarus. Um, just wondering how that came about. Like, where does that idea come from? Did you see someone else do it, or? Yeah, so I was um I was in physiotherapy at the time studying, and um, a few a few friends in my class, one one of whom was from from Clare, where the Burn Chernobyl project is based. You know, they talked about this opportunity to go volunteer in an orphanage in Belarus. Like, definitely not something that was ever on my radar. I was only about 20 at the time. But I thought, you know what, that sounds sounds like something that's worth doing. So we went for the first time and, you know, been seven or eight times total, I think, now. And definitely a very important part of, of my life, I consider it to be. So, um, yeah, I think that I think that charity and volunteering in some way is something that is that is really, really important because it's, it's again, one of those examples of things that you do, you do because it is a good and you're not really expecting anything in return. Of course, you might get some positive emotion and things like that, but you know, you're, you're not really expecting anything in return. And it's something that's just worth doing. And I've learned a lot from that, to be honest, because, um, the orphanage in Belarus is, you know, it, it houses children who, children and adults, to be fair, who have you know quite profound disabilities in some in some cases a mix of of disabilities intellectual and physical but some quite profound and you see examples of children who you know have been separated from their parents whether they be left at birth or they've been sent into this um orphanage and it's a very it's a very difficult thing to accept and you do often see examples of where you know they are they are quite they are very content with very little and even as little as our our visits our presence or 
you know, presence with a, with a CE and a TS um, are absolutely uh, of great value for them. So, yeah, I've learned a lot from that. Um, it's something that I think about probably every day as, as a kind of a reminder to be grateful for what I have, both in terms of my my health and in terms of, you know, a, a loving family, etc. And uh, yeah, I've, I've it's been a very big part of my life and something that I hope I'll be able to continue in future. That's what I was about to say. It must give you unbelievable perspective. Like we're talking about suffering or sorry, we're suffering and having to get up and go to work and learn, you know, when they're suffering is a lot different and that must motivate you all the time. Yeah, hugely. I, th- I actually think of it when I'm training a lot because um, there's, there's one girl in particular who I'm very, very fond of. Um, and she, I've seen her, grow from when she was like you know six years old when she was small and cute and now she's kind of entering her teenage years but she um she has sacral agenesis or, or related syndrome which basically means that you know she kind of more or less has no legs you know there's a guy on netflix as well he's a wrestler called zion a lot of people might be familiar with him but it's that syndrome where you you basically don't have legs you walk around in your hands and you know i, I think of that a lot when i'm training to be honest i'm like you know Gary, you've, you've two functioning legs here now, you know, do, do, do this for her, that type of thing. Like, obviously I'm just in the gym doing a leg press, but it's just an example of, again, where that starts to, to come to mind, to remind you to be grateful. Um, so, so yeah, very, very important for me. Something you'd recommend everyone to do? Yeah, definitely would. I think that, um, you know, I would, anytime you're going volunteering, I would say, you know, pick your charity wisely. You know, there there is some criticism about uh, it was actually in the media recently about, you know, some kind of volunteer services. They call it like volunteerism, you know, some places I think in Southeast Asia where you kind of pay to go and visit the orphanage and it's apparently it's just it's just a bit shady. It's just not the best way of of going about charity. So I think, you know, I have a very close attachment with the the charity that I've gone with. I've gone consistently with them. I know where the money is going if I'm donating, I'm physically there myself. So I'm very, very clearly know where it's going. Um, so some charities, you know, they're not always so transparent. So that's the only thing I would say. But I do think that um, charity is something that's incredibly important for us as humans. And I think that people should pursue it for sure. Do you go every year? Up until COVID, yeah. Um, I would have gone two to three times per year. So it would have been oh. from 24. 15 to 2019 i suppose i would have i, I think i've been there eight eight times i think um, now, what exactly are you doing what's your day in the life there are you um helping out cooking learning what what's the what's the what's your role i, I mean it's it's nothing heroic really you know i i mean obviously the last couple of times we would have went um it's with a group with a group of other physio students and then physios you know once qualified but so we would have brought some of that bit of physio expertise and brought over kind of standing equipment and, and different things like that that could you know assist some of the children with disabilities and, and teach the staff how to use equipment like that that was very much later on um but most of it is is just you know being present with the kids they get super excited when they hear the irish are coming they absolutely love it you know it's a lot of a lot of playing maybe you know organizing little events things like that um and then of course some of those practical things like you know, maybe fundraising for something new or um, discussing with staff about things they might need fundraising for, or in that case of the physio equipment, that type of thing. So it's a lot of it is just 
the fun basic stuff you don't need any expertise we're not doing anything heroic other than just giving our time and our our presence unreal gary that's i've gained a serious amount of knowledge as i said at the start it's whether someone listens to this or not um i get to sit down and chat to people that you know i think have a serious amount to offer so uh thanks a million you know i know your time is very valuable so an hour out of your time feels like uh, two out of someone else's <laughs> not at all um thank you very much an absolute pleasure and best of luck with absolutely everything my pleasure thank you very much Stephen, and thanks to everyone that's listening <laughs>